Geekville Radio. Hello once again, geeks and geekettes. It's Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with a new episode here. We got a bunch of news to talk about. Don't want to waste too much time getting to it. We're going to talk the Scarlett Johansson versus Disney story. We're going to talk some more MCU stuff with Hawkeye, uh, Flash Gordon coming back to the big screen, Suicide Squad, and we'll wind everything up talking Masters of the Universe Revelation and the controversies that have surrounded that reboot. And once again, joining me from a nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. We got a full slate of them. Good mixed bag of stuff, which is unusual. Seems like every episode seems to be centric to one particular intellectual property, but not this time. We got a yeah. lot of stuff. Yeah, kind sometimes of I kind of jokingly referred to things as like we're, we seem to be like the unofficial MCU podcast because we seem to talk about the MCU and stuff a lot. But it seems like that's what people want to hear. So, well, um, yeah, it's either that or Flareverse. It seems, yeah. <laughs> and we got we got to talk about both those in this. So, hey, there mm-hmm. you go. All right, <laughs> right. So, unless you've been living under a rock. You've probably heard that Scarlett Johansson has sued Disney over the breach of contract for Black Widow. According to the Huffington Post article, I will link in the show notes at geekforradio.com slash 292. The lawsuit states that, quote, Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Ms. Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. Now, the main part, my understanding of this is this has to do with Black Widow being released on Disney Plus with that premiere access. Her side is saying that it was supposed to be a theater exclusive and Mm. that by releasing it with the Disney Plus, that violated the contract and that I think, if anything, she should be entitled to at least a part of that $60 plus gross in Disney Plus access. That's the way I'm understanding the lawsuit. Did you get the same vibe or... Yeah, now, full caveat, obviously, neither myself or Seth are, are lawyers, right? We don't even play one on TV. Right, and, and even further, neither one of us have seen the contract. Right. But they're both saying, yeah, these, this is true, online, mm-hmm. is that Scarlett did have a, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she was guaranteed a percentage of the receipts, right? which is not unusual for a higher-level star of her magnitude, uh, especially in a very successful property like an MCU property. So I, I'm not shocked at all that she had that in the contract. But n- having not seen it, I guess it would kind of goes down to the wording, doesn't it? Is the wording to where, saying, is she feeling that she wasn't given that chunk or that, that, that I, I don't know. Right. I, I haven't seen the contract, but... My bet would be she either will or not, and I guess this is why we're going to go to court, is if she feels that she's either not getting a cut that she's rightfully owed because of this contract's wording, you know, you get a percentage of the receipts, and her and her legal team see this as part of the receipts, that's probably why we're going down this road. And if not, I mean, that's up for a judge to decide. And and if it explicitly says that, you know, you only get a percentage of receipt from a theatrical release, then the thing is pretty cut and dry. The problem mm-hmm. there, though, is does it, one, say that, and, and if it doesn't, then it's all really on the judge saying, okay, I believe this to be nefarious on Disney's part, if they side with Scarlet, that you didn't give her a cut and you should have. Does that make sense? Right, right, yeah, because the kind of black and white way I look at it 
is that if there was a contract, then there was a contract. And right, exactly. My very, very limited experience with legalities and contracts is there is precedent that should be set because there are cases of companies that will not pursue action dealing with intellectual property or IP on things that have been released or done under the table or fan whatever. Right, uh, right, 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 right. And then when they try to pursue legalities against another group with similar IP infringement, the courts can come back and say, okay, well, you didn't pursue these people when they were doing it. So why are you picking and choosing who you sue, basically, when it comes down to it? Right. This is a little different than I think the scenario you laid out. Right. Because what you're talking about is one particular studio or screenplay writer or whatever saying, hey, this is my intellectual property. Whereas this time we're actually having a star sue over breach of contract, which I think is a little different. And I guess Um, really the only similarity that could be drawn if something was to happen here would be if there was a breach of contract before that Scarlett didn't pounce on. Right, right. And then that's possible too. We don't know. Like like we just both said, we're fans. It's like y'all, we're we're not intimately aware of the of the contractual agreement and arrangements between Scarlett Johansson and Disney. And we're not intimately aware of the wording of that contract. But like I said, the only thing I know for a fact, because neither side has denied this publicly that's part of her pay was based upon the success of the movie and that is not unusual what's that famous role jack nicholson played i remember where he agreed to play do it for nothing but the 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 was that batman i think it was joker wasn't that yeah, yeah. he like got like 10 percent of the box office receipts yeah. or something yeah he got something so, like 50 got, million dollars just to just for, and and in in 1989 it probably wasn't 15 it might, it might have been 15 but it, it was many millions of was, dollars over 30 it was, years it was ago a, it was a healthy chunk. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but I, so I, I don't know. What do you feel? Do you feel that if it doesn't explicitly say in the contract theatrical release and her law team can sufficiently prove that she's not getting a cut that is equitable with the chunk that is coming from these premium access, do you think she's entitled to that? Well, I would think, again, just one man's opinion, if she is getting a percentage of the gross from the theater release and mm-hmm. then she should be getting a percentage of the gross in the disney plus release like that i said too. i think it's all going to come down to wording and the interpretation mm-hmm. of the judge on what the wording means don't you yeah and, and speaking of wording disney responded to kind of their their public statement that said quote there is no merit whatsoever to this filing the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the covid19 pandemic and thank you, Disney, for virtue signaling there. Right, because it's like, what does the global pandemic have to do with keeping up on your end of a deal? That's the way I see it. Yeah, that's how I heard it, too. And you can say I'm, I'm callous and I'm heartless, but that was a very carefully worded statement by their legal team to try to, to curry public favor by playing the emotion card. Right. Oh, look, squirrel. Yeah, exactly. It's like, look, we're all living through this pandemic. We all have been affected by it. It is what it is. And to be that your only excuse, you are diverting away from the case, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The case is there's a contract. The contract was not negotiated. There was no clause in it in the case of a pandemic or natural disaster that I know of. So you saying that, Disney... You are nothing more than virtue signaling. You're trying to win the power of public opinion by playing on people's emotions. That's right. my opinion. 
And I right. stand by it. If you want to complain to me, crazy trainer score JB, Twitter. Yep. Send your 10,000 word blog post there. Yeah, um, I'll listen to it. But I, I really think Disney's really pandering. They're just trying to play the emotional card. It goes on to say Disney has fully complied with Mr. Johansson's contract. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow and Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the 20 million she has received to date. So I guess they're trying to say that she's getting a cut of the. Disney right. Plus That's what it access. sounds like according to that, doesn't it? Right, right. So I guess it comes down to whether it was supposed to be an exclusive theater screening or not. And some may, may also remember that NATO, no, not that NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, they issued a statement, which they really don't do very often, basically blaming the streaming release for cutting into the profits of the theatrical release, which I think we talked about that before, I think on the last episode of what we thought about that. And, and like you said, they so rarely do put press statements out, you know, the, the second NATO. <laughs> yeah. That it does make me think that to a lesser extent, they're also pandering and playing the emotional card, too. They're trying to make it oh, feel so sorry for this multimillionaire actress and us. Look, I get it. The theaters are one of those, not the, not the studios, but the actual movie theaters themselves. We all know that is an industry that has been hit especially hard by the lockdowns and the pandemic. Yes. They have. And so... They're like us. They don't know how to react to opening back up full capacity because it wasn't what it was pre-pandemic. They're probably a little PO'd too. Everybody just needs to chill, to take a breath, in my opinion. Now, by the last part of what Disney's statement was, it does lead me to believe, like you said, that she is getting it from Premiere. So that makes me wonder, is her legal team's argument that this would have done better in the theaters had it been in a theater-only release and thus she would have gained more money? To me... That's not a good case. You're basically trying to convince a judge this might have happened. And that's not how the law works. Yeah. Yeah. It would seem to me that if they're claiming that it is a theater exclusive, that the Disney Plus release would make it not a theater. But that's what it sounds like the claim is to me. Maybe you're right. Like I said, once again, that could actually be the wording. in the we've not seen the contract. That could be the wording in the contract. And you know as well as I do. Lawyers write those business contracts and they put loopholes in them for a reason. They vaguely word them on purpose for stuff just like this. Because it is safe to say that the wording in that contract, that contract was written well before COVID came along because that that contract was probably a year or two before the movie was even released. Right. But once again, I don't know. I think a lot of this is going to depend on the wording of the contract. Is Scarlett Johansson's legal team going to try to prove? Are Are they trying to say that her contract said it, it was a, a theater exclusive, and then they didn't do that. That it is a breach of contract. Are right. they saying that she wasn't getting a cut or a fair cut according to the contract of the stuff from Disney Plus? There might be an argument there, too. But mm-hmm. if their argument is speculation that this movie would have done better had it only been in the theater, thus causing our client to lose money, that's speculation. And I don't yeah. know many judges that will go for that. that, that it, it is a big if because the, the, the counter thing would be, well, what's the other solution? Don't release it at all. Right. I don't care what you think of judges and our legal system. I can't think of any judge that would, I mean, there, there might be some, but not, not many I can think of that would side with an argument that my client lost money because they did business one way. And if they'd have done this other way, they'd have made more money. So my client would have got more money. There's right. no judge that's going to go, uh, no, right. just, that's just not how it works in our, our legal system. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I'll just put this out there for anybody that's talking about, well, she's already made 20 million. I just revert back to what I stated at the top of this discussion. If there was a contract, there was a contract, period. End of story. End yeah. of story. 
<laughs> Although it is worth mentioning that Marvel's next theatrical MCU release after Shang-Chi, The Eternals, will not be getting a streaming release. I think Shang-Chi will be getting one. I'm, I'm not sure on that. And uh, the other one that was delayed from last year was the ne- next guy, the, the the video game one with, was it Ryan Fall Reynolds? Guy, or, or, yeah, uh, next guy or free guy. Free yeah, guy. Th- that's also getting a, a theater-only release. Oh, it is? And that yeah. comes out, what, next week or this week, I think? Yeah, I, I think it's, kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming out pretty, pretty soon. Uh, moving on, elsewhere in the MCU, Marvel has revealed the premiere date for Hawkeye, the next MCU series for Disney+. Plus. It's going to be run by Jonathan Igla, who helped do Mad Men, to give you the type of idea of what the type of vibe we can expect. It is set to debut Wednesday, November 24th. Jeremy Renner reprises his role as Clint Barton slash Hawkeye. Florence Pugh returns as Yelena Belova, and the series also sees Haley Steinfeld playing Hawkeye's protege, Kate Bishop, which we speculated on. Tony Dalton yeah. suiting up as Swordsman, and Alakwa Cox, I hope I'm saying that right, portraying the deaf hero Echo. Episodes will be directed by Riss Thomas alongside with Burton Ernie. Oh, I'm sorry, Burton Birdie, who are a <laughs> female uh, directing duo. And Hawkeye's got some big shoes to fill now because all of the Marvel shows have been great. I'm, I'm pretty sure What If is going to be cool. But it's going to be totally different because it's going to be animated, if nothing else. It'll be different. Right, right. And a lot of self-contained stories. Yeah, nothing that's going to have any overarching effect on the MCU and the movies. It's just fanboying, really. Let's be right. honest. Right, I mean, you know, which is exactly what the, the What If series did. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, what I can't help but think is, obviously, since the end of Black Widow, it makes me wonder what the story possibilities could be. We know Yelena is going to be out to kill Hawkeye. That that's pretty much (laughs) kind of a given. (laughs) It also seems like this will be taking place during the time Hawkeye is Ronin. So maybe some of it will probably take place during Infinity War and Endgame. That that five year span, or maybe the beginning of Endgame. If it does, then that means Yelena, like her sister, didn't get snapped out. Right. And the thing is, is Black Widow did not die until Endgame came along. So right. The, 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 at least some of this, I would imagine, would have to take place after Endgame. Right, exactly. Because he wouldn't have been Ronan well, anymore after that. Right, right. But I think there's a lot of ways they could go with the story. I do think that, much like the original Avengers, with the exception of Banner, who is only going to drop in here and there, they've already said that, this might be a way that they kind of phase Hawkeye out as well. Because, I mean, they killed off Tony. They've gone a completely new direction with Thor, and I think he's going to be like Banner, just kind of an in-and-out kind of thing. Cap's gone. We've already replaced him with Sam, and Black Widow's dead. So Hawkeye's the only original Avenger left that if they're going to diminish his role or eliminate him completely, this is the place to do it, isn't it? Yeah, and and I I have a Hawkeye quote that totally fits with what you said, that Hawkeye's basically the last one of the original lineup. The Hawkeye from the comics would definitely say, yeah, I always figured I'd be the last one left standing. Because <laughs> it's something yeah, Hawkeye would say. Yeah, something Clint would say in the comics. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think the actual villain is? Because we've we've speculated already. We think Yelena's going to figure out that she's getting played at some mm-hmm. point and And much like her sister is going to come to love and respect Hawkeye and side with him. So right. who does that mean? Who do you think the real villain is? Well, obviously, it's supposed to be Mephisto. They're dropping all the hints for that. Now, of course, I'm, I'm joking with that. I'm assuming we're going to get more of Valentina. Of Valentina, Yeah, because she's assembling, the whether it's the Thunderbolts, whether it's the Dark Avengers or the Young Avengers or somebody like that, 
I think in the end, she's going to be the mastermind, so to speak. Whether this is going to lead to a crossover for series or whether it's going to be theatrical, I don't know. But I'm thinking we're going to see Valentina's being more and more devious as things go. Because what it seemed like right. to me, because I know we were told that you would understand her cameo in Falcon and Winter Soldier better after seeing Black Widow. Because to me, it came off pretty clear that she is not a very nice heroic person. person. And in the comics, mm. she's she's like a triple agent. So it's like her playing side shouldn't be anything new. But right. so I, I think it's going to be the anti-fury, so to speak, with her little mm. uh, team of villains. Well, I'll be honest with you. When this news came out, all this speculation we're doing is not really where my mind went. We knew Hawkeye was coming for a long time. I... I'm in the pro Hawkeye camp. I know he's kind of the most polarizing of the original Avengers. He has his defenders and then he has his haters. I've come, especially after the last three shows we've gotten from Disney Plus, come to pretty much trust them that they're they're going to be at least well done entertaining. And I don't think Hawkeye's going to be any different. What I found unusual was the fact that they had said they were going to drop it when they were going to drop it because Disney had said back during when they were shuffling everything around because of Corona that we were going to get Miss Marvel, the Kamala Khan television series in 2021. I don't see with this getting released in late November and having an, I think, I think an a six or eight episode run, they're not going to have time to release Miss Marvel now in 2021, are they? Right. Even if it's six weeks, that still puts it at the end of uh, December or, or even January. And, and I think, didn't they move up the, the release of Book of Boba Fett to like late December? It sounds about right. There was a time where there's been Bad Batch episodes while Loki was coming out. But then I love Bad Batch. It's one of those, as we like to say, puts the war in Star Wars. But right. I don't think it's as big of a deal as the Mandalorian series Ooh, has been. No, so. it's not. Mandalorian, let's be honest, that's one of the tentpoles for the whole streaming service. And this is a direct spinoff of that. So I don't see them, even if they are if they were inclined to try to drop it, in late 2021 and carry over to 20. That is something they would do it up against Book of Boba if they don't want to hurt themselves. And obviously not every Star Wars fan is an MCU fan and vice versa, but there is a lot of crossover. Look at us. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I don't think by any means they're not canceling Miss Marvel. They've already cast her. They've already announced she's going to be in the Marvel's movie, the, the, the sequel to Captain Marvel. She's a fan favorite in the comics. I like Kamala Khan. I think she's a fun character. I think she brings something interesting and cool to the mcu she's a teenager she's female she's islamic she brings a lot of different things that we just don't have in the mcu which i think will be fresh and interesting i think she will probably be presented again just a guess you know, like you said teenage girl type thing it's going to be presented as kind of seeing the mcu through a young fresh set of eyes kind of almost said they did peter parker you know, and Tom Holland's Peter right, Parker. Right. I, yeah, I could see that where it's her eyes kind of that the audience is able to see through. And, and right. we'll, we'll ask the same questions and react the same way the audience might expect somebody to. Right. That, that's just the way I see it. That's how they'll work her. Yeah, I think you're right. And if you follow the comics, that's kind of the vibe they go for in her comic book. You know, that she is a kid and an immigrant to America uh, and all the several different minorities and she's thrust into this crazy world of essentially gods that are all adults and how she reacts to, it, you know, and she still has some immaturity and, and, and fan worship that kids are apt to have. And I think that will be portrayed in the show and in the movies as well. So all those things being said, I, I, she's not going away. It makes me wonder where they go. And I mean, then again, 
with the pandemic, can we really say what they're doing? Do they even know 100% what they're, they're doing? I think they're kind of calling a lot of this on the fly. They're calling mm-hmm. an audibles we used to do in football, you know? Right. Or maybe they just thought that Hawkeye might have been one that was just better suited to to go in first. Yeah, man, who knows? Remember, we've talked about how if you're looking at what we've gotten already, Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed to be first, but it didn't get released first. It got released second when WandaVision got bumped up in front of it. So, I mean, I'm on this hype train. I trust Marvel. They haven't let me down yet. I, I would think that if it was some kind of major throw a monkey wrench in the works of the overall universe, if they did not release these in the order they're going to release them, they would have changed it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. When I guess what I'm saying is I don't think Hawkeye coming out before Miss Marvel or whenever they do release Miss Marvel, they're not going to release either one of these after a movie. I think they've already made, found out how, what happened there. Well, like we said earlier with Valentina versus, you know, because of when Black Widow was supposed to, but that was very, very exceptional circumstances. So, right. I think the events that come out of Hawkeye and the events that come out of Miss Marvel are going to affect the MCU overall, but I don't think that them going in the order they're releasing them is going to change anything. Right, right, yeah. We'll wait and see. We got, what, about uh, three months, well, three months and change before the, the show airs. And, what and, if, then, I mean, and then we'll find, well, probably then I would suspect they'll probably have given us a release date for Marvel, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. Because if What If goes for half a dozen or a dozen episodes or so, you're already talking... Well, uh, practically in October by the time that would be. Yeah, and, I, so, and I'm thinking it's like, I think I heard it was a 10 episode run. Is that right? I, I, I think so. And, and the, my hunch is it's going to be shorter than most episodes of the. You think it's a 30 minute stuff. episodes as opposed to the one hour getting a live action? Right. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, moving out of the MCU, but kind of staying under the Disney banner, we've heard for a while that Taika Waititi will be helming a big screen reboot of Flash Gordon. Because remember, we were hearing that he's doing, he was going to do a, a movie, and then I think it was George Clooney was going to do uh, a televised, if I recall correctly. Mm. But we've heard now that Taika's version is also supposed to be live action. There's talk of it being animated, but apparently the, the decision has been made to make it a live action. And obviously, he recently completed work on Thor Love and Thunder. I think he's got uh, a star wars movie i know that he's doing i don't know if that'll be before or after flash gordon but i thought it was funny in the article that i'm linking at the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 292 he actually had his staff watch the flash gordon movie in preparation for working on thor love and thunder so i think that kind of shows where his heart lies with flash gordon and i think he's perfect for it i'm definitely going to be interested in seeing what the soundtrack's going to be, because kind of like James Gunn, he throws some of the interesting music into the background, into some of his stuff. There was that very, how do you say, esoteric type joke with Bruce Banner, because in during Thor Ragnarok, Bruce Banner's wearing a shirt that has Duran Duran, Duran, Duran Rio. Rio album, which has Hungry Like the Wolf on it. And of course, who does Hulk fight in the third act of the, of the film? Fenris, a giant wolf. Fenris. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. That was kind of a nice little Easter egg there. Peep geeks our age openly know that the or the Flash Gordon from 80, that he made it the crew, cast and crew watch. Part of the charm of that movie was the soundtrack being done by Queen. Right. So it's not like music has not been important in the past to other iterations of Flash Gordon. And obviously I know 
with Freddie Mercury being dead, you, you can't do Queen the way it was before. I don't think you would have to twist Brian May's arm too much to no, have no, him not at all. To... He's a geek. <laughs> yeah. For God's sakes, the man is a dean of astrophysics at a university in England. Can you think of a more geeky profession than oh, I have a doctor in astrophysics? That's the epitome of a geek. <laughs> right. And um, also, he Taika tends to cast himself in interesting roles in the movies because, of course, he was. Uh, what was the rock character he played in? Korg. And it was Korg, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he was, I cannot remember the character. He plays the character in Jojo Rabbit. He plays a mm-hmm. Nazi in that. He played yeah. Hitler, didn't he? I think so. And and so I I know some people have been thinking uh, who would he cast himself as for Flash Gordon. I think he'd probably cast himself as Prince Thun of the Lion Men. I could see him doing something like that. And it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if he, if he plays Ming. But I, I think he's already got somebody in mind. That he would like to see play Ming. Oh, what's the Brian Blessed character? The way the uh, the, 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 the 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 Hawkman. Yeah, yeah, Voltan. Gordon's alive. Voltan. Yeah. I, I could see him playing Voltan. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. But you're right. I mean, Prince Thune was one of those characters when we did our our, our lesser known geek hall of fame induction of Flash Gordon. We talked about the history of Flash Gordon in the comic strips and in the serials. Prince Thune and the Lion Men were characters that ex- that were prevalent uh, and, but did not make it into the Indeed. Max von Sydow movie of, of 1980. Right. But I think we we did discuss that, that they were originally intended, then this got cut for budgetaries at the end, correct? I think so. They they did have a character called Thune in the movie, but it was that guy that looked kind of like a gold Dr. Doom in the beginning. Right. Obviously, the limitations are much less now because of CGI. And it's Taika YGT. So it's not yeah. like he's going to be hurting for funding. I'm sure he's going to get a pretty big budget. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it'll be interesting to see what he did for Star Wars. But the line that I remember the most from the animated TV Flash Gordon movie uh, from the 70s that predated the the series was Thune said uh, something to the effect of, you've never loved until you've loved a lion woman with fur so soft. And I'm like, and this is an animated story. <laughs> yes, and that's the kind of line that that Taiki would yeah, love you can to see say. him saying that line or, or directing that line. Yeah. Well, moving on to DC, we're not going to really spend too much time on this because it hasn't aired yet. But I've been watching the Superman and Lois series right now. It's my favorite of the Arrowverse shows, and the last two episodes are coming up. And I couldn't help but notice that the penultimate episode, which will air on the tenth, is called Eradicator. And the season finale itself is going to be called The Last Sons of Krypton. And plural. anybody that, yeah, plural. Any, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a pretty big Eradicator fan. He, he was one of the characters I like to play in, back in the Overpower game. He was one of the few DC characters that I think was, was done well. And for those who have been watching the series, the villain on Earth, he's been called Morgan Edge, but he's actually a Kryptonian called i think it was thal Rowe. i want to say i think it's a new character i don't think it's a character that's been uh, in the comics but the arrowverse creators they tend to do that each show tends to have at least one character that is created exclusively for the show dating all the way back to right. arrow diggle was created for the tv show they just kind of worked him into being john stewart but uh, so I, th- I think thal Rowe is, is that one and there's two things here one he's becoming eradicator that, that was kind of the, the cliffhanger in the last episode. So it looks like for the next episode, we're going to get building him up as Superman's equal or possibly superior. And then the final episode will be the knockdown drag out. I know, right. Train, you I haven't know. been keeping up with this, but just putting Eradicator finally into a Superman series, which I've been asking for since the 90s. Does that mm-hmm. pique your interest any? 
Oh, yeah. You're a bigger Superman fan than I am, but I'm a bigger DC fan than you are. So um, for those that don't know, Eradicator was in the fallout to the the death of Superman, which was a seismic shift in comic books in the 80s. Before they They killed off every character in comics. Right, right. So Superman dies at the hands of Doomsday. Well, they both die, actually. But they had a a storyline before they brought Kal-El back as Superman called The Reign of the Supermen. And they focused on four different characters that were attempting to fill the void for Superman. Well, one was Hank Henshaw, uh, Cyborg Superman. One was Superboy Prime. One was Don Henry Irons of Steel. And the other was Eradicator. Right. So let let me add uh, this just for those that don't know. There were four ongoing Superman titles at that time. So hence why each one got their own representation of Superman. Thank you for clarifying that. You're right. So as a fan of DC in particular, but comics in general, especially at my age, I understand the importance of that entire storyline. The death of Superman, the reign of the Superman, and then Clark coming back. And Eradicator was a major part of that. Eradicator is much like Bane. Bane doesn't have that long of a history for Batman, but he was so important right when they introduced him, he's become a major part of the mythos. So, I think he's so big now. It is, it's important that you bring it. If you're going to have a Superman show, you got to bring him in at some. So why not go mm-hmm. ahead and do it now? Right. And one other thing about Superman and Lois, there's an interview with Tyler Hecklin from Men's Fitness. And again, I will have the article linked at the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 292. Tyler Hecklin, he's enjoying being Superman. He's saying he'll be there for uh, as long as they want him. And they, they talk about him going through a lot of bench pressing. A lot of chest workouts, and I can't help but think because he knows sooner or later Superman's going to have to take his shirt off. And, yep. uh, yep. Oh, believe me, how many times have we seen Henry Cavill without his shirt on in the movies? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I think when we were reviewing Man of Steel, I remember there was that scene where he uh, walks out of the lake shirtless, and I think he's still wearing pants or something like that. And it's like you could hear the ladies in the, the theater in the rows behind me where <laughs> you could hear silently their reaction. Don't get me wrong. Henry Cavill... Doesn't miss chest day. He doesn't miss buys and tries up his shoulders. But that dude's abs are, are incredible, dude. I, I mm-hmm. don't even want to know the core workout that Henry Cavill does or his diet to keep all the body fat off. I mean, some of that's genetics. Let's be honest. Henry Cavill was one of those guys blessed with good genetics. So, yeah. but anyway. And he still has time to build some kickbuck computers as well for gaming. So. Yeah, there you go. He's an interesting fellow. Yeah. Uh, Also for DC, for the movies, this Friday we are getting Suicide Squad. Actually, I think it's officially getting released on Thursday, so it may even be available by the time you you hear this. But right now, as of this recording in early August of the Year of Our Lord 2021, it's sitting at 96% at Rotten Tomatoes, which makes it the best-reviewed DC movie to date. Now, to put those in comparison, we'll go down the list, and these are specifically movies that you could link to being the DCEU, the extended universe, the ones that are they're trying to be part of the coherent universe. Wonder Woman is 93%, Shazam is 90, Birds of Prey 79, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League 71, Aquaman 65, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 1984 at 59, Man of Steel at 56, the first cut of Justice League at 40%, Batman vs Superman at 28%, and the original Suicide Squad at the bottom at 26%, which is funny because I actually liked the Suicide Squad. So, uh, it had issues, knows. but it wasn't that bad. Uh, right. I think it's better than 26%. 
Right. So mm-hmm. it's funny. It's funny that the, the, the Suicide Squad is now holding the top and the top. bottom spot on that list. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Ironic. Yeah. But that, that's really I. the only reason I was adding that is because I just trivial information, I guess. But I, I think it's interesting that you look that the DC movies are all over the place. And whereas the Marvel movies, for the most part, they're sticking around that 70 percent or so. 80, yeah. yeah, 75 to 85 percent usually. Yeah, right. I think the highest rate of one for it is what uh, Civil War, I believe. Or yeah, I think I think it's. You know, I, I want to say that. Uh, actually, why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break. I'll do a, a look at that, and then when we come back, we'll wind everything up talking Masters Universe. That sound okay to you? That works for me. All right. When we come back, we'll find what the top rated Marvel movie is, and then we'll talk some Masters of the Universe. Are you looking for a gaming themed podcast? check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekvilleRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we are back. And uh, just for what it's worth with Examining the Doctor, I recently released an episode with Mark Short where we actually did not do any commentaries. We talked to the recent news of both Jodie Whittaker and the showrunner Chris Chibnall leaving Doctor Who next year. So if you are interested in that news or you like hearing news about Doctor Who rather than just story commentary, you might want to look that up. But getting back to MCU, well, we're going to ignore, I think, a couple of the series because, I mean, the Inhuman series was at 11%. That definitely <laughs> takes it for... That's even worse than the Suicide Squad. <laughs> right. But it looks like from a tomato meter standpoint... Black uh, Panther? Like Black Panther, I think, is, is the top one at 96%, which is right around where the new Suicide Squad is sitting. Right. So there and you go. 94 for Endgame. So. But yeah, 92 for Spat, My Homecoming. So, but most of them are, it looks like Civil War's 90, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange is 89. So it looks like like 75 to 80, 85 is normal for them, you know? Yeah, but and what is the lowest? Go, go down. I think, I think, it's, I think I saw at the bottom was Dark World. I think it was the lowest. As far yeah. as ones. Yeah. Dark World probably was Dark World, 60. Yeah. What? It was what? 60 what percent? 66 percent. 66. Oh, okay. Which is still better than, than over half of the. Yeah. <laughs> that's still better than all of that top two or three. DC stuff, and that's the worst rated MCU mm-hmm. movie. So, <laughs> so we're going to close this out talking Masters of the Universe Revelation, the Kevin Smith series that debuted on Netflix this past week. Now, Train, you have not seen this, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not not interested in it beyond yeah. the fact that it's geeked him. But I, I'm like I've said before, He Man, Master of the Universe is just kind of a little bit after my my time. Right, right. Because I, I think you are about. The uh, similar age as Kevin says, so you probably would in what about about twelve, thirteen or so when the yeah I'm junior high school yeah 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 um, I was probably at thirteen, fourteen. I was starting to discover girls, you exactly. know. So that's where I was going with that. Car- <laughs> cartoons like that were like, oh no, those are for kids. 
Right. Try to impress the ladies. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. He-Man was definitely something more for my generation, a couple of years behind years. I was never truly into it, but I watched enough of the series to know who the characters were. So while I might not have been the biggest He-Man guy, I'm familiar with the the main players. Right. So I'll go over the things that I liked, and then I'll talk about the the controversy that is is ongoing. Spoiler alerts! Spoiler alerts! Spoiler has been breached. Spoiler has been breached. A couple of the differences that I liked was they depicted Adam as being a pretty normal sized guy. Now he looked in shape, but one of my issues with the original show and the original figures was Adam was. The, the same mold as He-Man. He, he yep. looked exactly the same, just wearing a shirt. So it's like even more so than Clark Kent being Superman. It's like, why wouldn't people figure out, this is the guy has got the same build, the same haircut, the same voice. You know, how come so many people didn't put it together? Some, well, yeah, some, one of the things I've always loved about DC's Captain Marvel, Shazam, is that Billy Bats is a kid, and then mm-hmm. Shazam is a big strapping adult superhero. It's pretty cool, but that's a rarity. And you're right, it's very much a rarity. And the other thing that I liked is how they handled Orko. Now, to me, I kind of look at Orko the way some Star Wars fans look at Jar Jar Binks, and that's just more annoying <laughs> than anything. I know, I caveat is that I'm actually a Jar Jar Binks fan, but that's kind of beside the point. But they I always, made... uh, what little I knew about Matthews, I always thought Orko was one of those things that was created so younger kids would want to buy the toys. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so too. But in... This series, they made him a very sympathetic character. He's really not the best sorcerer. He kind of stumbles over himself, but his heart is in the right place. He is a very loyal friend. He just wants to do the right things. And uh, when they're kind of building up to go on the mission, Orko kind of begs to go with, basically saying that with all this stuff behind him and him in his kind of deteriorating state, it's all he's got left. Can he, can he help his friends one last time? And he's talking to, I think, Evil Lynn. Because Evil Lynn's got this temporary alliance with uh, Tila for the show. And they're mm-hmm. talking about his history. And Orko's saying, well, my, my name actually wasn't Orko. It kind of is, but it, but it wasn't. I was, I, yeah, I, I, w- with my family, I was given this name. But with the way I talked, Orko's just what stuck. And there's that dramatic pause. And then I think it was Evil Lynn said, your real name's Oracle, isn't it? And Orko just kind of nods. And mm-hmm. uh, then probably... I think it might be the next episode or so. Orko winds up sacrificing himself, taking on uh, the character of Scareglow, which has got to be one of the greatest villain names I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> a, a glowing skeleton voiced by Tony Todd. That probably has your you at hello right there. Uh, <laughs> Anytime Tony Todd voices a villain, it's a good thing. Right. So you gave him the, the whole thing where you just kind of want to pet Orko on the head and say, and say, say it's all right, kid. You. <laughs> We'll be your friend. Uh, so that those are the things that that I liked. Obviously, Mark Hamill is Skeletor. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. It is kind of similar to his Joker voice, just not as all over the place as Joker can be. I think we're all Joker fans. We know how Joker might talk in different ways depending on what his mood is. The situation, yeah. Yeah, we're, whereas Skeletor is just all Emperor wannabe all the time. That's, that's all you know, Skeletor. As far as the controversy... This is, in a nutshell, my understanding. There were people that were saying that He-Man gets killed off in the first episode of his own show, and then the rest of the episodes just focus on Tila, and it becomes the Tila show. Now, I can tell you, since we waved the spoiler tag, that is what happens. They basically kill He-Man at the end of the first episode, and then the next three or four episodes focus on Tila, kind of allying with Evil Lynn, and 
trying to find a way to essentially get to get to heaven, you might say, to, to try to turn things around. And that's how they wind up bringing He-Man back is they basically go to Eternia's version of heaven. They meet Adam and they find out, at least Adam finds out, wait, I can leave if I want to. And they say, yes, but if you leave, you can never return. So he basically steps out of heaven to become He-Man again. To come to attorney and be the hero again. Right. And then they go and impale him right after he comes back. So it seems like he's uh, for sure dead this time around. But so that, that's been the kind of people were saying that they, you kill off He-Man and it's just Tila. And it seems to me like what happened was the creators, whether I don't think, I don't know if it was Kevin himself, because because I am a Kevin Smith fan. So maybe I'm biased when I say stuff like, but they, they tried to deny it. They tried to say, oh, oh, that's not what happens. Oh, and then it's basically what happens in the episode. So I think the controversy, at least the way I see it, is that the fans kind of feel lied to. I was kind of comparing it to J.J. Abrams' second Star Trek movie, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, where they spent months telling you, no, Benedict Cumberbatch isn't con, he's not con, he's not con, and then, well, he's, he's con. So I I was kind of equating it to that. Maybe I'm off base, or maybe, maybe I'm missing something. But there is something that Kevin Smith said that I absolutely 100% agree with, because it is in the official title of the series. It's Masters of the Universe Revelation Part 1. This is still part one, effectively, that we were in. We were in the fifth episode of part one. There's a lot more story to be told. So it's Masters of the Universe. We're going to see He-Man again. And yes, Tila was center stage for these first three episodes. But I think in the end, it's like trying to do a DC Universe movie without Superman. You just you eventually are going to have to bring Clark slash Superman out to, to save the day in the end. So yep. the, the only thing that I would have done differently, and obviously Kevin Smith's worked in Hollywood for 25 years. I haven't. I would have saved killing off He-Man for the season finale or for the fifth episode of this. And it ends on that cliffhanger where you, you've seemingly killed He-Man or maybe you killed He-Man and Skeletor as a cliffhanger. Where does it go from there? Because the cliffhanger of the, the final episode of part one is Skeletor essentially uses the He-Man sword. The, the, the thing that he chooses that He-Man, that Adam uses to turn into He-Man. He uses it and he basically becomes this godlike creature. I don't know if they're still going to call him Skeletor, but he's Super Skeletor. Like how there was Shredder and Super Shredder. Well, we got Skeletor and Super Skeletor. Skeletor. Yeah. So that was kind of the last shot of the original run of the show. So I'm going to watch the rest of these shows. I'm, I'm intrigued enough to see where it goes. And I can understand some of the frustrations that maybe some of the fans are seeing. But in the end, like Kevin Smith said, this is the beginning of the story. There's a lot more. We don't know how many parts we're going to get. Well, there could be seven parts for this, for all we know. There's going to be more. Let's wait for the series to conclude before we complain about how things didn't go the way we wanted to. I mean, is that is that a fair thing to ask, you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I You know, I lament often more on our wrestling podcast, Classic Wrestling Memories, cheap plug, that current day wrestling fans lack patience. And I think that's true in not just wrestling. I think that's like we're saying here in in, in this, tell, you know, with He-Man and the Masters Universe. I think we live in a, in a society and culture now where literally you get whatever you want delivered to your door, everything's instantaneous. And one of the downfalls of that is people have forgotten how to enjoy long-term storytelling. And I remember Triple H, who of course, obviously very high ranking in the WWE, when they've gotten similar complaints about how they booked characters, his response to the fans was, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon, stay tuned. I, mm-hmm. I would give those that are complaining about Masters of the Universe the same advice. It, like you said, it's a part one. And I, I understand there there is a certain segment of the fans 
that are very wary and upset about gender swaps, ethnicity swaps, stuff like that in a lot of geek properties. And this kind of maybe felt like that to them because like you said, the they kill off He-Man and then the focus is on the top female character. I, I can get why they may feel that, but they're just telling a story. I, I did read one of Kevin Smith's responses to this and he basically said what we're saying. He said a little bit bluer language, you know. Well, it is Kevin but this Smith. Is, it's Kevin Smith. Yeah, exactly. So, but he basically said, this is long-term storytelling. Be patient. And then the thing that struck me that he said that I'm like, yeah, thank you. And I'm not even a He-Man fan was this. He said, I was hired by whoever it was that's running this. I can't remember who the, the company is mm-hmm. doing it. And paid lots of money to make a Masters of the Universe series. Do you really think I'm not going to have effing He-Man in it? Basically, he was saying they're paying him to make a He-Man show. I love the ability to get information instantaneously and to communicate instantaneously, but we are so used to that now. I do feel that it has killed a lot of people's ability to enjoy or even appreciate long-term storytelling, and this is a prime example of that, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think... I can somewhat equate it. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm lumping a bunch of people into the same group. Maybe some of them right. I am. But how many times have you seen on social media or something linked where it says explosive fan theory links this to that or something to that effect, where, where you get mm-hmm. these intricate fan theories. And then when it doesn't turn out to be that because the creators never wanted to go in a direction like that in the first place, you get all the angry letters about people who thought that the, the fan theory was better. And it's like, right. okay, but the creators don't have to listen to the direction that the fans want it to take in. Maybe they can. Maybe there's a few bones they can throw. But the, the, I don't claim to be a very creative person. But if I'm telling a story, I want to tell my story, not the story that the people reading are necessarily expecting, you know, if right. that makes any sense. I, I'm, I'm trying to say it without sounding condescending or anything like that. It, it's just it's just Yeah, like, no, no. You know, I, I think Eric Larson. The, the, the creator of Savage Dragon worked, worked Marvel for a while. I think he said uh-huh. it the best when he was talking about comic book creators. He said, you have two choices. You can buy my book or you can not buy my book. You do not get to decide what goes into my book. That, that, that I think, is probably the best way to put it. Oh, well, I, I look at all this as far as creativity goes from wrestling because that's where a lot of my creativity was put forward as a creative person. So it's I, I don't disagree with a lot of higher ups in the wrestling business. And I've said it myself, you know, if you don't like it, you don't have to come to the shows. You can turn the television off, change the channel. There's a reason why I don't watch raw every week. I'll just leave, I'll just leave it at that. Well, I think Shawn Michaels said it the best. Uh, and he even said, now I know saying this is going to get me in trouble with, with the big wigs and the company, but it's how I feel. He's like, I don't watch a lot of television, but uh, what television I do watch I don't have to watch a show more than two or three episodes to figure out whether I like the show or not. And mm-hmm. if I don't like it, I stop watching it. He's not wrong. If you're not that happy with the direction you feel Kevin Smith's master, then stop watching it. But if you are interested enough to continue to watch it, well, I guess what we're saying is be patient and see where it's going before you pass final judgment. Oh, I agree. Right. And I don't know when the next part's going to be coming out. The next show I'm going to sit down and watch, and I may do my own a solo show for that. And that'll be the third part of the Transformers War for Cybertron stuff. Cause I know you've never been a Transformers guy. So no uh, geek stuff I'm watching that I know you're not watching right now is I'm, I'm finally got around to watching the boys, the Amazon mm-hmm. original series based on the Garth Ennis 
graphic yeah. novels. So. Yeah, and that, that's what's got Carl Urban. Carl in, Urban. Right? Yeah, and I, obviously I should watch it. It's Garth Ennis, the same guy that gave us Preacher. So it's a very adult comic book world. Right. Absolutely. So this has been Geekville Radio. We are at geekvilleradio.com. If this is your first time hearing us, we are all over the podcatchers. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. We have several shows, not just this one. You're kind of listening to the the main show, you might say, Geekville Radio. But we also got Examine the Doctor that talks Doctor Who, Examine the Dead that talks horror. We got the Nostalgia Trip. We got the Lesson on Geek Hall of Fame. And uh, we also have a, a sister show over ClassicWrestlingMemories.com where we talk old school pro wrestling and just give us a follow give us a review let us know what we're doing well let us know what we're not doing well and uh train if anybody wants to get a hold of you to talk anything geekery or pro wrestling where can they find you i'm always available on twitter at crazy underscore jb like i said earlier i'm sure i might have upset some people with some of my opinions on this episode just talk to me yep. i we i am a person who can't agree to disagree and walk away with you know with a smile on my face that is the best place is twitter but i'm also an administrator on the Examining the Dead Facebook page because I am the host of that particular podcast. I'm an administrator on the, the website, so you can reach out to me that way. And just about any social media platform that you go to, if there's a crazy trainer underscore JB on it, that's me. So you can also reach me that way. All right. And with that, we are going to power down here in the Geekville Radio studio. We will be talking to you folks again very soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. with He-Man and it being Kevin Smith as I just kept waiting for the inevitable Beast Man fart joke. Oh, you, if it's only part ah! one, it's coming. Ah!